You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness, and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. Can a shift in consciousness change the world? This solution is based on one simple underlying paradigm that unifies mind, body, and environment in one ocean of pure being, pure consciousness. During his talk as the keynote speaker at the World Yoga Festival in London, Dr. Tony Nader presents new scientific understandings of consciousness and the critical role of meditation a modality of consciousness, in developing human creative potential and providing solutions to our world's problems. Now the point is just that we have three qualities already in that primordial consciousness that have emerged, and that is a witness, a process which is dynamic, and an object which hides. The object hides, it takes over. And that primordial bit of consciousness, what takes over is pure consciousness. So that's not a problem. It's observing itself. Now, what happens in that unmanifest, pure level of being is a question. To what extent we can hide? To what extent there is silence? To what extent there is dynamism? I will save you all the rigmarole of this. Uh, I explain it in the book, but it will take some time to go through it in detail. And just say that what is the nature of consciousness? It's to be conscious. And to be conscious in all possible ways. In all possible ways. It can be conscious in ways where the observer is hidden totally, where the observer is hidden partially, where there is lots of dynamism, where there is less dynamism, where there is no dynamism at all. And all of these possibilities, just to make a long story short, lead to an infinite number of possibilities of ways to be an observer. So there are infinite number of possibilities of ways to be an observer. There are also an infinite number of possibilities of ways to be an object of observation. Because if these infinite number of possibilities of ways to be an observer start looking at each other, they will have infinite number of ways to see each other, to be objects of observation, right? I want to stop here and make sure you're with me. <laughs> Who's not with me at all? Wow, great. Ah, somebody. It's okay. <laughs> we'll talk to you. Well, let me say it again then, because the majority are with me, but just for your sake. You're a conscious, infinitely conscious being, entity. And you can be conscious in an infinite number of ways. Is that okay? 
So infinite number of ways means I can be little conscious, which means half aware. Let's say you are drowsy today. And when you kind of your eyes are shutting down and sleep, don't get to sleep. Stay awake. Stay with me. It's just an example. Uh, when you're a little drowsy, your eyes focus only on one aspect, maybe one word of what I say. Or maybe you drift and you see the flowers and you're seeing the flower. Or maybe you drift and you are conscious of a thought or a memory that happened or a feeling that you have or something that's happening that you want to do. Or what I'm saying is so boring, you're just thinking, how can I get out of this room without being, you know embarrassed or embarrassing the speaker so you know these thoughts can come and your consciousness can go to all of these right so these are different ways even for us as humans to be conscious and to be conscious of objects now imagine this amazing unbelievable unbounded huge consciousness how many ways it can be conscious infinite number of ways, much more than us, because it's pure being, pure consciousness, and it plays within itself. Imagine an author wanting to write a, a novel or a book or a story, and they start imagining things. And that imagination can take them anywhere. They can think of unicorns, they can think of Aphrodite and of Zeus and of anything they like to imagine in any color and any shape they can imagine anything right so imagine that this consciousness which is sitting there kind of by itself playing with itself curving back on itself and imagining like an author imagining things so it can imagine an infinite number of ways of being conscious an infinite number of ways of object it can be conscious of. Right? Is that fine? Okay, now we have everybody together. Great. So it's only imagination. So we can call this, all this is the field of the non-manifest, unmanifest. Because here we have just a pure consciousness knowing itself to be unbounded and pure and fulfilled, Satchit Ananda, pure consciousness, bliss, floating in its infinity and imagining everything, infinite imagination. Which means, what, what are these imaginations? What could they be? They could be us today. It is imagining, one of its imagination is us sitting today together and being imagined by that consciousness. Is that a possibility? Yeah, of course. Anything is a possibility. It can imagine this flower flying in the air and floating around and going to every one of you. And if there are not enough flowers, it can multiply the flowers and everyone gets a flower. It can imagine. Can you imagine yourself now? Can you imagine this as a possibility? Can you close the eyes and imagine these flowers multiplying into hundreds of flowers and coming to you? Let's close the eyes and imagine these flowers and everyone getting a beautiful flower. Make sure you get the flower. Beautiful. Now we can open the eyes. Everyone got the flower? 
Beautiful. That's imagination. We call it non-manifest, to be honest and true to it. It's unmanifest. It's not manifest. Because when we open the eyes and we go back to this reality, the flowers are still here. We had them on our feeling level, which is already something. And we are just now understanding a little bit how this unbounded consciousness imagines things. Okay? Now we're all together. So where does it take us? It takes us to an infinite field of all possibilities, absolutely all possibilities, but all of them unmanifest, non-manifest. One pure field of consciousness imagining every possibility irrespective of time and space. Why? Because it is infinite, unbounded, pure consciousness. And if we today as humans can imagine things as we did, now think of something that is infinitely more conscious than us as humans and how much it can imagine and never be restricted by time or space. For it, every moment of our existence that we live now or that we will ever live or that we will potentially ever live but not actually live are possibilities in this field of pure being. So for this field of pure being, you and I exist as we are today, but we also exist as immortal beings, as perfectly happy, perfectly well beings. We exist in that imagination. Okay? Everyone is with me? Any question? How could you describe the difference between monastic idealism and solipsism? Well, solipsism is you feel that you're the only one who is conscious and everything else is not, in a sense. Or you cannot say that everything, anything is conscious other than yourself. And so it's different from, from monistic idealism, where you're just saying that everything is consciousness and there is no other entity than consciousness. So now we are, we are trying to get to, to manifestation. We are still in the field of the unmanifest. Okay, in the field of the unmanifest, it's all imagination. Right? Now, why does manifestation happen? Why do we actually become here? real people in a real world with real chairs and real yoga festivals and everything is absolutely real. We feel it, we sense it, we experience it. Can we call this real? Is it real? And I know many great speakers and knowers of reality like to say that this is not real. It's a maya, it's an illusion. And what we want to find is a way to accept this reality without rejecting that everything is consciousness. Okay, and so here we are stepping 
from one unmanifest pure consciousness, imagining everything that is possible and asking ourselves, why does it manifest? What happens? I'm going to go through this a little quicker because time is running. And we can see if you're interested in any point, we can ask uh, during the question and answer part. Um, why does it manifest? The question is, I'm going to put it and you'll have to think about it. It's not an obvious thing, but it can be very simple depending on your predisposition of wanting or not wanting to accept it in a sense. What is it? Its nature, we said, it's consciousness. So what is its nature? It's to be conscious. To be conscious is to know, to know itself. So knowledge becomes the essence of this unbounded, infinite, pure consciousness. The essence and the motor, the engine towards reality towards experiencing so it is experiencing it is knowing it wants to know what does it know it know itself to be everything from an unbounded perspective what does it not know what does this infinite field of all possibilities not know it doesn't know what what is it that it does not know Experience, yes, you're on the right track, saying experience. What kind of experience? I, I make it... Uh, yes, you're on the right track. I'll translate what you're saying. What, what it doesn't know is, what is it like to know from a limited perspective? You see, it has unlimited perspective. So this comes now a new word, perspective. What is perspective? Your perspective. You're sitting somewhere, you're looking at this, this thing from certain perspective. Somebody sitting on the right, they have a different perspective. So even though generally the reality is similar or the same, but what you see from this side is not exactly what that person sees from that side. We know this, perspective. You're looking from a certain point of view. There are these different points of view. Now, imagine that this unbounded consciousness, which has a field of all possibilities, well, it can see from all points of view at the same time. After all, we're saying it's infinite possibilities. So it can see from all points of view at the same time, irrespective of space, irrespective of time, past, present, and future, it sees everything. It sees absolutely everything. It's, it's almost unimaginable for us what it is like to be in that situation. But we're taking this to an infinite possibility. That kind of infinite consciousness that can imagine anything, everything, and see everything at the same time. Usually this quality is prescribed to Godhead or Godness or God or the divine. Of course, that's fine. But we're not talking about religion or belief system. We're just saying consciousness that is infinite. What could consciousness that is infinite see? Well, it sees everything at the same time, all the time, is aware of everything. It's aware of you moving, not moving, uh, being, not being, in the future, in the present. But 
it is seeing it so far in our description from an infinite perspective. What it doesn't know, it's what it is like to be David or John or uh, Lakshmi or Narayana or this or that. It, it doesn't know what it is like to be seeing from a limited perspective. Okay, take a moment to think about that. What it is like to be a cat? What does it like to be a cat? Let's say what it is like to be uh, David. What it is like to be David? Well, David depends on David's consciousness, of course, but let's imagine David whose consciousness is a regular consciousness, a daily living, good person, doing things. Does David know that he is unbounded consciousness? No. If he is enlightened, he would know. But he's not enlightened. He is living a regular life and he has a certain awareness. He doesn't know that he is actually in his true self, is pure being, is actually pure consciousness. He doesn't know. So that part is hidden from David, right? Well, in the unmanifest, pure consciousness doesn't know what it is like to be David, what it is like to be seeing things from a limited perspective, what it is like to be seeing things from the center stage perspective, the center audience, versus seeing things from the right side or from the left side, what it is like. What is it like to be seeing from a limited perspective? It doesn't know. In the unmanifest, the absolute pure being doesn't know what it is like to see from a limited perspective. And that is, if it is unbounded consciousness, how is it possible that it doesn't actually know from this limited perspective? The answer is, which is very interesting, and don't get lost with my answer, it actually knows. <laughs> but how does it know? Through you, through me, through us. And we are therefore part of that ways in which consciousness knows. One way is unbounded consciousness, but that is unmanifest field of all possibility. As long as it is floating in that feeling and knowing that I am everything and never forgets that, then there is no manifestation. Because it's just itself like an author imagining the characters. You know, you're an author, you want to write a book, you imagine the characters. You imagine somebody growing somewhere, going to school, meeting friends, going to making take a profession, getting married, whatever. You imagine a story. It's still an imagination. But the author doesn't know what it is like. It can imagine what it is like, but doesn't really know what it is like. Because David that we talked about, 
doesn't know that he is also pure consciousness, right? So there is ignorance of something. There is something hidden from David, correct? But pure consciousness knows. It knows. It knows that there could be a David who forgot that he is pure consciousness. It knows. But what it is like for David to know, which means actually being in the shoes of David, right? So all of us are just those aspects of consciousness knowing from a limited perspective, various limited perspectives. So we all are pure consciousness, but to different extents, pure consciousness is hiding itself to different extents in every one of us. This is something you will have to think about a little bit more, but the reality is Inside ourselves, we are unbounded, pure consciousness, but we don't know it. And it is unbounded, pure consciousness experiencing itself through us from limited perspectives. Yes? This, this existence in the human form is just the consciousness marveling at its own self. So why do we want to transcend it? Why do we seek enlightenment? It's almost like we are revolting against our creator, the consciousness, and instead of just accepting our humanness, our human form, we're trying to kind of get out of it. So why not just relax and just be human with its own good, goodness and badness and just not seek anything? It's a beautiful question. And that brings us to one of the big questions that we haven't asked. That's why I thought the time has gone too quickly. Uh, the big question is, what's the meaning of life? I can, you know, say why we're here. It's like, okay, we know why we're here now, I guess, because it's that consciousness. In fact, when we say I, it's a small I, but the true I is that big consciousness, really. You know, that's the vision. So that big consciousness is having fun, if you like, experiencing from a limited perspective. Okay, so why we are here? We know now, right? We're here because we are just simply that pure consciousness experiencing from a limited perspective. Now, it doesn't only experience from a limited perspective. It wants to experience the ability to go through different stages of experience. And there is where enlightenment comes from. It's not that in enlightenment we reject our reality of where we are. In enlightenment, we discover what our reality is. So we started off with a limited perspective, and then there are two things to discover. What it is like to be in this limited perspective and what it is like to grow in perspective until we reach the ultimate perspective where we know who we really are. See, there is the path of 
I know now from a molecular perspective. So even when we, we say the physical body, the physical body is made out of bits of consciousness. That's, that's how I explained it. It's not physical. What we call physical is one level of experience by a human being of a certain object, which we call our physical body. But the term physical is also consciousness. That is a concept which is a little more complex to go through. Time would not allow. But what I want you to, to know is that when I started with dualism, it's just to say there are these different ways of looking at things. We are now going to monistic idealism, which is everything is consciousness, which means the body is also consciousness. The reason we see it as physical is because this is one way of seeing, one way of observing. Because if you take a machine that looks at us, it will see mostly emptiness, you know, these detectors and all of that. Because between the molecules and the atoms, it's mostly empty space. And even those elementary particles that constitute our atoms and molecules are actually waves in the ocean of fields. And this is what physics describe reality to be. So when we say we are physical, we are solid, we are structured here, this is one way of being an object. Remember I said there are infinite ways of seeing, infinite ways of experiencing, infinite ways of being an observer, but there are also infinite ways of being observed, of being an object. And one of these ways is seeing things solidly, seeing things through a certain spectrum of light or certain spectrum of sound. And when you limit the seeing to a certain spectrum of sound, certain spectrum of light, certain possibilities, you see a physical structure. The physical structure is real from that perspective. So what is physical is only actually fluctuations of consciousness allowing itself to see from a certain perspective certain kinds of objects. Okay, so why do we reject the body? We don't at all reject the body. The body is a dynamics of consciousness that created us as we are. And in fact, one of my big research with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was to compare the Vedic literature to the human physiology. And that's a whole long story. And to find that actually we are a replica of the Vedic literature. The brain, the association fibers are a replica of the yoga and yoga sutras and the chapters of yoga. We have four lobes in the brain. They correspond one-to-one -to, -one to the four chapters of the book of yoga, Patanjali, and the sutras correspond to different parts of the brain. Nyaya, which has specific function and has specific structure, corresponds to our thalamus. Nyaya has five chapters. Our thalamus has five divisions. Nyaya has 16 principles of action. We don't need to go into them. And the thalamus has 16 nuclei, exactly like that. So the dynamics of consciousness are available in the dynamics of our physiology. Now, to go back to your question, why do we reject? We shouldn't reject. We should accept, absolutely embrace all that we are because this is what our consciousness is. And there is no conflict between mind and body because the body is 
only an expression of consciousness and it's one way of seeing ourselves it's there is no discontinuity it's one wholeness and why we have to evolve because we want to discover who we are so when we started as an atom not us i mean atoms and molecules they are also consciousness but with very limited perspective trees are also consciousness with bigger perspectives than the atoms animals are also consciousness with bigger perspective than trees humans are consciousness with a bigger perspective than some animals at least <laughs> and like that artificial intelligence is coming now it's also consciousness it's absolutely consciousness and it can have a bigger perspective so we have to be careful and that is something i wanted also to address and now i'm going to move a little faster because time is is running so at least this basis is there and i invite you to think about it and discuss it so what is the purpose of life these are the big questions the first big question we answered hopefully to your satisfaction why are we here why manifestation happens why this unbounded field of pure being happy and big and invincible and blissful why would it bother to manifest why because it's nature what is its nature is to be conscious to know it wants to know in all possible ways and all possible ways include knowing from the perspective of an atom knowing from the perspective of a tree knowing from the perspective of a human being and even higher and that is knowledge that is the purpose now the second question is what's the purpose of life why we are here simple answer to discover who we are and we pass through experiences perspective after perspective experience after experience until we discover that we are pure consciousness and this you can do through life through living through experiencing through studying through understanding through doing physics or chemistry or whatever you can also do through transcending and there is a technology in yoga and that is the beauty of the practical part of yoga that is bringing together all the different parts of our physiology to make us go beyond the ignorance of who we are and discover who we are now the way to discover who we are and that's what we teach in transcendental meditation is to go beyond the layers of consciousness to the subtle and more subtle and the subtlest level of our being that's what we call transcend which means to go beyond the surface value of experience and experience our true self directly and that is how you establish in yourself who you are and that is how you start seeing from a broader perspective and that's what we have seen with people who practice transcendental meditation they naturally start experiencing from broader perspective they naturally start seeing unity in diversity because they understand that everything is consciousness not only on the intellectual level but on the direct experiential level within themselves you discover i am everything aham brahmasmi sarvam kalvidam brahm everything is totality everything is wholeness that intellectually we can study from physics and know the unified field and the quantum mechanics and all of that 
which is wonderful, but that's only intellectual. We can study it philosophically and analyze things as we're analyzing now, but we can most importantly directly experiencing, and that is transcending. So transcending is a powerful technique. It is part of the yogic the samadhi establishing, you know, the last limb of yoga. And Maharishi has taught that although we can go through all the limbs one by one in sequence, but if you attract or if you develop one of them, all others naturally develop. So in this case, transcendental meditation, we develop directly the samadhi path, which means going to the transcendent, to the sameness, to that value of wholeness. And that is the mental technique that we teach in our centers. And the results are that all the other aspects of yoga develop. For example, better behavior, better thinking, better relations with others, better breathing for pranayama, more flexibility in the body for asanas, uh, better ability to concentrate for dharana, better ability to be mindful for for dhyan and meditation, to be able to simply be mindful in a natural way rather than, of course, mindfulness techniques are wonderful. They allow you to, you know, be mindful of the breathing, be mindful of your thoughts, take a distance, be non-judgmental. All of these are beautiful, but if the mind is busy and full of stress, then you find yourself having to fight yourself a little bit. So in transcendental meditation, the mind settles down and establishes itself in that pure consciousness and knows directly who you are. And by experiencing that and then acting, this gets established in your being. And this is where when you look at the flower, you don't lose yourself. And that is what enlightenment is. And that is what liberation, moksha is. You have freed yourself from the boundaries of the object that hides the reality. As we said, objects, they hide reality. And when you are in the transcendental and established in that all the time, reality is never lost to you. The objects are there, but you are also aware of yourself. What is great about this is that there is something called collective consciousness. And as humans, we have billions and billions of neurons, and each has its own kind of consciousness. We have trillions and trillions of cells. Each one has its own consciousness, and together they make our holistic consciousness. And in the same way, in society, we are individuals, but we create collective consciousness. And that collective consciousness influences our leaders and the decisions making, etc. And what we have found is that when people transcend together and experience these higher levels of awareness from the deep level of consciousness, there are changes in society that are extremely profound. We have done more than 50 studies that are documented, that are supported you know, by great scientists, that are evidence-based, and many of them have been published in the best uh, journals statistically that show when people come together like you're coming and transcend, they go to that field which awakens in society a higher level of consciousness. And what you see is real changes, decrease in crime rate, decrease in conflict, decrease in accidents of the road, decrease in hospital admissions, 
And we have traced this in a very, very precise way with the number of people and actually have found a formula that actually scientifically fits, and that is the square root of 1% of any population that practices these techniques. And again, this is scientific proof of the effectiveness of consciousness and group consciousness on transformation of society. So we are planning a big, large group uh, soon, 10,000 people who practice these advanced techniques in order to make a difference actually in the situation in the world today, which is requiring that we look at things from a different perspective and will awaken. And we have inviting scientists to actually study it before, during, and after, because unfortunately what we have seen in previous studies is once the groups dismantle, the situation gradually go back to where they were before. So it's very important to maintain consciousness on the group level also, not just on the individual level, to create the effectiveness of this technique. So every one of you is invited to learn transcendental meditation and to actually come to this big gathering that we will have in which we want people of all nations of the whole world to come together and we have large groups to practice these technologies of consciousness together and create the effect. So these are some of the things we are doing and um, I rushed at the end because time was, was going, but I'm happy to stay for those who like to stay with us. Go ahead. Dharma and karma. Yes, and the Bhagavad Gita. Well, for the Bhagavad Gita, it's very clear that there is that unbounded consciousness, which in the Bhagavad Gita is Krishna. And Krishna says, Aham Brahmasmi and Sarvam Kalvidam Brahm and Tatvamasi, thou art that, everything is that. And it's very clearly explained that all of this reality is based on pure consciousness and that Krishna describes when he opens his mouth to show to Arjuna, that Arjuna is bewildered and sees everything, past, present, and future in his mouth. And so this is completely in tune with the system, with the Bhagavad Gita. And dharma is vocation. Vocation, uh, in a sense, is uh, a natural law and laws of nature and leads us to freedom and action and reaction. And in terms of freedom, because that's a question that I asked at the beginning, I'll give you the answer without the explanation. We are all free. And one of the reasons why we are free is that consciousness wants to see from a true limited perspective. We came back to that principle. And therefore, it cannot force the limited perspective to think and act in any way Otherwise, it would not truly be knowing from a limited perspective. That's a big statement. You'll have to think about it. But in it is freedom. The bottom line is we are free. However, we are free to do within the constraints of our previous actions. We are also free within these constraints to make a decision, but we are not free to change the outcome of our decision. So you can plant an apple seed 
you are free to plant an apple seed, but you are not free to get a mango tree. Once you plant the apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree. Okay, now, can you change the thing on your way? Yes, you can. How? Well, when the apple tree grows and brings apples, if you like mangoes, you take your apples to the market, you sell them, and you buy mangoes. So <laughs> you can always change your destiny, but there are constraints, there are rules, and that's the rules of karma. Now, based on what happens to you and what your actions have been, you will find yourself with certain level of freedom and certain level of constraints. This is what determines your dharma. This is what determines what you should be doing next and what things you have done that you have to pay in terms of karma and therefore your vocation is guided by this karma and therefore the dharma comes from karma also, from action. Now freedom grows with the growth of consciousness. Why? Because if you have only, you know only five things, you can choose only from those five things. What we are saying is your consciousness is limited. So consciousness is not just consciousness. It can be broad, it can be limited, it can be far-seeing, it can be short-sighted. When you see only four or five things, you can choose only from four or five things, right? Now, if your consciousness is wider and you can see a hundred things, then you can choose from one out of a hundred things, right? That's what we call bigger freedom. If you see only two things, you are limited in your freedom to choose. So when your consciousness broadens, you see present, past, future, you see more, more possibilities, then your freedom grows. So with growth of consciousness, there is growth of freedom, and there is growth of abilities and possibilities in life. So we have to finish. <laughs> I did warn you. <laughs> he is very bright. <laughs> and he could have gone on for the entire day. All right. And we're so pleased that you took your time out to be with us this morning. It's been absolutely fabulous. Thank you very much indeed for blessing us with your wisdom. Thank, thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.